Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. All right, grab your, uh, your Bibles, please, or your electronic devices. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. The scriptures will be on the screen if you didn't bring uh, a Bible or uh, have a Bible app. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free. In Ephesians, he says male and female, right? Jew, Greek, uh, doesn't matter, rich, poor, but we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit. Right? We are part of the body of Christ, the church. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for um, everything that you've done, for everything that you're going to do. God, today I pray that you would um, arrest our hearts, arrest our attention today, because there's just no more important message than the one you've laid on my heart to deliver today. I pray, God, that we, that we see souls saved, that we see prodigal sons and daughters come home. We, we see people who've been deceived and confused and misled come to the clarity of the truth this morning uh, and that we all surrender our lives to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the more you study the word of God, um, and the life of Jesus, the more you realize that Christianity is upside down compared to the way the world operates, right? The, the way to, here's an example, the way to lead according to the scripture is to serve. The way to greatness is through humility. The way to blessing is by giving it all away. The way to victory is surrender. It's the complete opposite of the world system to which we have grown accustomed. So it would make sense that, uh, that when, when we uh, look at our concept of the church, it shouldn't surprise us that that concept might also be skewed, uh, have been skewed over time. Uh, and if we want to realign with a biblical concept of what church is supposed to be, according to the word, that it might feel like we're turning things upside down. When in reality, we're actually getting them right side up. Come on. Everybody okay? Come on. All right. So two weeks ago, we started a series called CL168, Covenant Life 168. It's based on Ephesians 5, and it's the idea that the biblical church, uh, th- that a biblical church spend, should be spending 167 hours a week um, focused on the work of the kingdom instead of spending 167 hours a week focusing on the one hour that we're actually in church together 
right? We focus, it seems like the American church focuses all the time in the, in the week on this one hour of church together and then forget about the kingdom until the next hour of the next week. What a biblical church should look like is that we spend this one hour together preparing ourselves for the other 167 hours of the week. And that's what we're trying to get to. We, we want to be a church that moves the needle on the work of the kingdom all 167 hours of the week, not just the one on Sunday. All right, so I'm really anxious to dive into some of the content because this has really been sort of stewing. That's the, that's the word that keeps coming to, to my heart about this. It's really been sort of stewing in my heart for a couple of years. And so I want to get to the content, the, the content that's, that's been stewing for that long. But I really felt compelled this week that we needed to start with something that's, a, that, that's far more elementary, far more foundational, and, and quite honestly, far more important. When we talk about becoming CL168, covenant life, 168 hours of the week, we have to first figure out who the church is. Who is the church? And that's a little more complicated uh, than it sounds like at first. There is a capital C church, and there is a lowercase c church. And here's where the confusion might come in. You can be part of one and not be part of the other. And that's, that's the danger here. You, you can be part of the capital C church and not be part of covenant life, right? And there's millions and billions of people who are part of the capital C church but not part of covenant life. And that's perfectly fine because the capital C church is made up of every believer in all of the world from every nation, past, present, and future. And the very vast majority of the people who are in the capital C church will have never heard of covenant life. And that's perfectly fine. If you're in the capital C church, the body of Christ, but you're not in covenant life, you may very well be right where God wants you to be. But what you don't want to do, and here's sort of the burden of my heart today, is to be part of covenant life or some other lowercase c church, but not really be part of the body of Christ. Not really be part of the capital C church. Now I want to break it down. I want to break it down even further. You can become a member of this church by going through the membership material and telling me that you meet the qualifications. And listen, I have to take your word for most of that. I have to take your word for it. I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. You say you qualify. I have to take your word to, for it. You might be lying to me, but I can't know some of those things. But in order to be part of the capital C, church. You have to come to the one who is omniscient, who hears and sees and knows everything. He can't be lied to and he can't be deceived. And in order to be part of that church, there is one and only one criteria. And that is that you have been saved by grace through faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's it. You have to be genuinely saved. And the reality is, it doesn't matter if you're a member of this or any other lowercase church. If you aren't a member of the capital C church, you're in real trouble. So today's title, and, and really today's uh, overarching question uh, in our time together is really simple, but really important. It's this, are you in? Are you in? That's the question I want to ask you. Are you in the capital C church or not? 
So before we, before we even talk about what it means to be a 168-hour-a-week church, but before we even talk about what it means to be a, a, a part of Covenant Life 168, we need to make sure that everyone's in the big C church. Now, you say, John, I, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm kind of usually with you, but I, we're in church. Like, all of us are in church or we're watching online. Like, why in the world would you talk about us being believers? Why would you be talking about that? Because I'm sure all of us believe in God. I, I ask you that because that's not enough. That's not enough. Look at what James says in verse 19. You say you have faith because you believe that there's one God. Good for you. Um, there's a little sarcasm in the book of James. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Amen. You say, John, listen, I'm a person of faith. I believe in God. I'm not trying to be smart. James kind of was. I'm not trying to be smart. But the Bible says that your declaration of believing in God puts your faith on par with Satan. Believing in God does not get you in the capital C church. It's just not enough. Today, I want you, if you can, I want you to set aside everything that you think you know about being saved. I just want you to forget about all of that and look at the scriptures together. The passage that we read in 1 Corinthians 12 is, uh, is a passage that, that calls the capital C church the body of Christ. The body of Christ. We are, as we are members of the body of Christ. That means he's the head and we're the body. What's the relationship between the body and the head? The body only does what the head tells it to do. Isn't that right? The, the, like if your body parts start doing things that your brain is not telling them to do, you need to go to the doctor. Like now. Now. Because there's a problem. If there's a dis, or if you're trying to, if your brain is telling your body parts to do stuff and they're not responding, you need to go see, see somebody about that, right? There, because there's a disconnect. The way it's supposed to work is that the head makes the decisions and sends the signals to whatever part of the body is supposed to carry out that decision. It moves when the head says move and it's still when the head says stay still. That's what it looks like to be in, to be in the body of Christ, in the capital C church. So let me ask you this question today. Is Jesus the head of your life? Is Jesus the head of your life? He's describing what it looks like when people are part of the body of Christ. So is he the head of your life or not? You say, well, John, I, I prayed the prayer when I was so-and-so. We're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to get to all that in a minute. But remember, I said forget about everything that you think you know about being saved. We're looking at the biblical picture of salvation, and he just painted one. You're, when, when, you're a, when you're in the body of Christ, you, you are in the body and obedient to Christ. He's the head, and you're not. He makes the decisions, and you carry them out. He sets the agenda, and you follow through. But John, the guy on TV, the preacher on TV said, if I just pray the prayer, Jesus will be on my team and he'll make my dreams come true and he'll show me that there's greatness in me. The problem is the guy on TV probably didn't show you any scriptures when he said that, did he? 
Or if he did, he didn't show you the whole thing. And he disregarded the context. The harsh reality is when you die, you're not going to be standing before the guy on TV. You're going to stand before the author of this book. A Bible that says if you want to be in, in the capital C church, then you have to be in the body, and that means submitted to the head. Let me show you a few more scriptures. First, first Peter chapter 1, verse 9, First Peter 1 and 9. The reward for trusting him, trusting Jesus, will be the salvation of your souls. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, look at what Jesus said. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? He's talking in the context of, uh, of following him and receiving salvation for your soul or doing it your own way and losing your soul. When you trust in Jesus to be your savior, he saves your soul. Isn't that what it says? He saves your soul. We talk about that all the time. That's what we believe, right? We believe that our souls are saved by coming to Christ. Do you know what your soul is? The word soul, it, it, it's a person's mind and will and emotions. It's a person's mind, will, and emotions. When you surrender your soul to Christ, you are getting in the body. And when you're in the body, you are giving him control of your mind your will, and your emotions, your soul. So let me ask you this. Is Jesus the master of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions? Have you given him control of what you think and what you do and how you feel? You know, I got to feel whatever I want. When you're part of the body, you feel what the head tells you to feel. That's what believers do. Several times in the New Testament, it says to put on the mind of Christ. That means you have to change how you think if you're in the body. Put it on. We have to give him our thoughts. We have to give him our attitudes and make sure those are the thoughts and the attitudes that the head would have us to express. Jesus said, Jesus said to God famously in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. That's what it means to be in the body. We submit our will to the head. And I've got to ask you this today. Is your soul saved? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about sinlessness. I'm talking about submission. I mean, do you ever consider how Jesus would, would have you to think or to feel about something or what decision it is that he wants you to make? Does it even cross your mind? How can a part of the body never even consider what the head wants it to do? Either the head isn't talking or the part is disconnected somehow. Are you in is the question. Are you in? Let's keep looking at the word. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Can you pull up verse 17? That's verse 13. That's a good verse too. That just ain't the one I'm trying to preach from. Verse 17, same chapter. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 17.
Y'all have no idea how hot it gets standing right here. First Corinthians, no, there ain't a First Corinthians 5, 17. That's why they didn't pull it up. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I just rewrote the Bible. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. All right? You're, you're a new person. The old life's gone. The new life has come. If you're in, then you're new. Amen. Old things of your past life have gone away. All, all, those, all things have become new. So I have to ask you this. Have the old things passed away and all things become new? Or are you still living just like you were living before you prayed the prayer? Listen, let me, let me clarify some things. I, I got saved when I was five years old. I, I was really young. I don't know, this may come as a shock to you, um, but I wasn't really struggling with smoking, and drinking, and partying, and cussing, chasing women. You know, that wasn't really my problem at age five. Probably some disobedient to parent kind of thing going on, maybe some lying or whatever. But, you know, my lifestyle wasn't really going to get flipped upside down at the ripe old age of five. But as I grew up through the teen years, through the young adult years, you know, when you think you know everything. And, and, and Lord, even today, as the temptations to sin showed up in my life, as they do for everybody... Because I was in, then my desires were different than my peers who weren't in. Y'all tracking with me today? It's not that I wasn't tempted to do the same things that, they, that other people were tempted to do, but my heart was after pleasing God. And had been for a number of years. And so he came in and changed me. He made me new. Because if I had been the old fleshly person, I would have pursued those things because of my faith in Christ, because of my relationship with him. Because I was in, then he kept me through those temptations. Because he changed me when I prayed the prayer. Okay? And that's good news. And so I've struggled for years about my testimony. I'm air quoting today a lot. Y'all just feel free to add them wherever you want to. I, I, I felt really weird about sharing my testimony because I hear all these, um, these, these cool, magnificent testimonies of people who were off in sin and doing these, these wild, crazy things. And then God rescued them and saved them. And I'm like, um, I got saved when I was five. Got married when I was 21. You know, I, I'm like, what am I saying? And, and I've heard a lot of people have come to me, a lot of those guys and those women have said, no, you don't understand how encouraging it is to hear the power of God to keep you once you give him everything, Amen. right? So don't worry about it. Don't worry about whether or not he's got the power to, to keep you changed. He's going to change you. He's going to keep you in, in the center of his hand. He's going to be with you the whole time. So don't worry about a one-time experience and then he's going to abandon you. No, this is a relationship you're starting. And he'll be with you every step of the way. Yes. Now, some people, on the other hand, get saved and they've been living a really sinful life. 
So when they go home after their encounter with Jesus, whenever they, whenever they get saved, almost everything they do is a sin. But what happens is now they have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, convicting them of these things one by one. So even if the religious people, and they know what church people are best at, pointing out the flaws like you got say 36 minutes ago. And now we want to tell you everything you're doing wrong. Calm down, people. What's really happening is the old sinful tree is drying up and the fruit is rotting and falling off. But that don't all happen at one time. But there was a distinct change in that person's life when they got in. You understand what I'm saying? I, I remember hearing Joyce Meyer years ago. I remember hearing Joyce Meyer on the radio saying, when, when she got saved, she, was whole, she knew God had called her to teach. She said, I really didn't know much about the Bible, but I started holding uh, uh, Bible studies in my living room. She said, I'm sitting there uh, like cross-legged with the Bible in front of me, smoking a cigarette, teaching the Bible. She said, I didn't know. I didn't know any better. I just trying to do, just trying to follow God. I love that. Now listen, small group leaders, if you don't smoke, don't go pack and buy a pack of Marlboros. <laughs> I want to be anointed like Joyce Meyer. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> the point is, she's just doing her best to follow the Lord, and then all of that bad fruit falls off the more you pursue him. Okay? So calm down. When people actually get saved, give God time to actually do some changes. But here's the question. Have your desires changed since you prayed the prayer? Is there a voice inside of you now telling you you need to be doing this or you really don't need to be doing this that wasn't there before? Are you hungry for the word and the presence of God? Like, do you desire to be in his presence? Do you desire to spend time with him? Even if you, you're, you're busy and, and, and things get crazy in your life, is there that desire? Like, you lay down and you're about to fall asleep and you know good and well you didn't spend time in the word and you didn't pray, but there's that hunger for you. And you're just like, God, as soon as, as, soon as I can, can do that, I'm going to spend time with you because I miss you. Yes. That's what biblical salvation looks like. That's how you know if you're in. The word says something, everything is different. You're a new creation. Now, one last, one last passage of scripture, John um, 3 and 3. There's only, yeah, yay, I got it right. John 3 and 3, Jesus replied uh, to a question about how to enter the kingdom of God. He replied to Nicodemus. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus who was sincerely seeking the path to God. He really wanted to be right with God. And Jesus' answer confused him. He didn't get it. He's like, born, whoa, born again. I don't, I don't understand that. But Jesus was speaking of this salvation experience with him. Uh, now, now, why did he say you have to be born again? Because our birth as human beings only connects us to our sinful parents, Adam and Eve. We have to be born again in order to disconnect from them and that nature and that lifestyle and reconnect to Christ. We join a different body. We join the body of Christ. So, so you, you know now I have to ask, have you been born again? 
I did not ask you about the prayers you prayed. I didn't ask you about the churches you joined or attended or the certificates that you've earned. None of that. Have you been born again? Because Jesus said you must be born again. And that if you're not, you will not see the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to make you uncomfortable. It's just that important. I'm just trying to get you to see what Jesus told Nicodemus. You have to be born again. There has to be a rebirth experience where as time passes, you get less and less connected to your sin nature and more and more connected to the nature of Jesus. More like him and less like Adam and Eve. Now, remember, we're talking about being a biblical church. We're talking about uh, being a church that's on mission 168 hours a week. But before we can do that, we have to start right here at the foundation of everything. We have to know who's in. Not who's in at Covenant Life, but who's in the body of Christ. Who's been changed? Who has really surrendered their souls to Christ who has been born again who's in and I want to make a confession to you I I think the church is to blame for a lot of this confusion about salvation I don't know when or who but at some point the church sorry the pulpit started to employ sales tactics in our invitations to get our numbers up. I had a friend who was in sales and he used to say, you just have to get them to the yes. You just have to get them to say yes. If you can get them to say yes to something, then you can make them buy whatever it is you're trying to sell them. But you got to get them to yes. That means you just keep adjusting the question until they finally agree with you. And then you can go from there. Somehow, we've equated getting people to pray the prayer, to pray the sinner's prayer. We've equated that with salvations. So how do you do that? So, so there's the mindset, right? We've got to get people to pray the prayer. So what do you do? You ask the right question so that you get pretty much everybody to say yes. Here's what I mean. Let, let me, the, does this sound familiar? If you died tonight... Would you know for sure where you're going to spend eternity? Do you know for sure that you would spend forever in heaven? Don't you want to see your grandma and all the saints who are waiting for the saints of God who have passed on from you? The only way to do that is to ask Jesus into your heart. So if that's you and you want to spend eternity in heaven and you want to know for sure tonight that you're going to heaven, I just want you to, I want you to know that you'll be able to see your loved ones again and I want you to just pray this prayer with me. I really want you to raise your hand if you've ever heard an invitation like that. It's just pretty much everybody. That's my whole childhood. That's my whole childhood right there. On behalf of... Uh, the word of God, let me apologize to you. Because, I, listen, I know many wonderful men of God who have given just such an invitation. I know their hearts are in the right place, and I know that they're giving the same invitation that they heard their whole lives. But let me be honest, that is not an invitation to biblical salvation. 
That's not. It's just not. Those, those people may have prayed the prayer, but what they signed up for was a trip to heaven, not a surrendered life to Christ. And that's two completely different things. They got them to say yes to heaven because what kind of crazy person doesn't want to go to heaven? Almost everybody, in the polls are, are, are very clear, like almost everybody believes in God. Like 85% of, of, of the country, 86% believe in God. And almost everybody believes in some form of heaven. Even if they don't believe in hell, they believe in some form of heaven. So it's, it's a great question to ask if you want to go to heaven. Yes. Everybody wants to go to heaven. So when the preacher says all you got to do to guarantee your ticket to heaven is to pray this prayer, of course your hands go up. And every good salesman knows you've got to appeal to emotion and you've got to create some stress to get them to make a decision. So what do they say when you go to the car lot? Well, I, you know, I got, take your time, but i got two other people who are looking at this very same car right here. Like they ain't been two people in this car lot all week. I got two people looking at it right now. Or I, I, can, I can see a person of your caliber needs to be driving something like that. It shows how successful you are. I got $12, sir. <laughs> That's how successful I am. <laughs> but it makes you feel good. You're like, yeah, I need it <clears throat> right now. If you die tonight, that's your ultimate stressor, right? You come face to face with your own mortality. Do you want to see your loved ones? I mean, talk about who don't want to see grandma, right? Of course you want to see. So the only logical answer to those things is yes. Yes. And then salvation is presented as the way to see grandma and go to heaven. And here's the problem. A trip to heaven is not what Jesus died for. That's just not why he came. That's not why he took stripes on his back. That's not why he endured the crown of thorns being placed on his head, beat down with a rod. It's not why he endured the pain of the cross. Seeing granny again is not what Jesus died for. Making your dreams come true and showing you the greatness that lives inside of you is not what Jesus came for, and it's a lie anyway. Jesus came to address the shortfall in our spiritual accounts. He came to address the sin problem. The fact is, because of our sin, we were guilty before God. And at some point, his holiness uh, is going to require that we make payment for the sin. The fact is, his justice is going to demand, demand that the debt is paid. And if the debt isn't paid, then hell is our only option. And that's not an appeal to emotion. That's simply a biblical, spiritual reality. The fact is, though, that God loved you so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die for your sins. And the death of Jesus on the cross was the payment for our sins. Not for his. For ours. Salvation, then, is accepting his payment on our behalf. And surrendering our lives to him and our will to his. When we get saved, we switch masters. We were slaves to sin, dead to sin. And now we are alive to Christ, servants of the most high God. But we've gotten people to say yes 
but to the wrong questions. And how disrespectful to try to deceive people into praying some prayer they don't even understand. There is no power in a prayer prayed in ignorance. If you don't even know what you're saying, then it does you no good. It's not a magic spell. It's not an incantation. You, if, you can't trick somebody into getting saved. Oh, but they said it. They, they didn't even know what they were saying. I've sung songs with Spanish lyrics. I don't speak Spanish. I have no idea what I said. Nobody laughed. Nobody got offended. So I guess I was all right. I had no idea what I was saying. You can't, you can't trick somebody into saying something they don't even understand and then tell them the results of their so-called commitment when they didn't make one. Besides the fact that the so-called sinner's prayer does not even exist in the Bible. <laughs> prayer comes from a submitted heart and a humble heart. It's not about the words. It's about the heart and the submission. Jesus spoke of a guy who, uh, who all he prayed was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he said. And Jesus said he went home justified. Why? Because he understood who he was in comparison to who God is. Look at how Jesus gave invitations. Listen, by today's standards, Jesus was really bad at inviting people to be saved. Luke 14. Luke 14, 20-something, 20 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you have to hate everyone. Go to verse 26, please. I don't want everybody to see this. If you want to be my disciple, you have to hate everybody else by comparison. Your father and mother, and we still waiting on granny? No. He said, you got to hate everybody else, father, mother, wife, brothers, sisters, children, even your own life. You can't, otherwise, you can't be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. But don't begin. Don't begin what? Don't start following me until you count the cost. Because who would begin a construction building without calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? It's, it's like Jesus doesn't understand sales at all. How many people said yes to that invitation? Hate your mama. Hate your life. Carry the cross. Don't start until you make sure you're actually going to see it through. I'll tell you how many. Only those who understood the cost of following Jesus. See, Jesus is not interested in getting people to say yes when their lives are just going to continue to say no. He wants your yes to mean yes. Didn't he say that, actually? He wants your yes to be surrender. He wants your yes to be the beginning of old things passing away and all things becoming new. He wants your yes to be your rebirth as a new creation, not just the continuation of a life that's been separated from him, but who now thinks they have a free ticket to heaven. He wants your yes to mean you're in. So here's the question again. Are you in?
Are you in? Are you really, really in the capital C church? Listen, I know some of you might be thinking, listen, you, this is a lot, John. This is a lot. I mean, I, I don't know if I want all that. I kind of like doing my own thing. Jesus would tell you, that's fine. Count the cost. Know what you're getting into. Isn't that what he just said? But, but also know this. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to the Father. He is the only sacrifice for your sin. So if it's not Jesus, if Jesus is not worth it, then you're still on the hook for the sins that you've committed and the ones that you'll commit between now and the day you stand before him. So just be sure that you're ready to pay the full cost of the wrath of God for your sin. You say, John, I thought this this was supposed to be a series about having a biblical church. I was all excited about that. It, It is that. But my great fear is that there are people who come to church every week who have said yes to something, who think they're in, but they're not in. We can't be an effective lowercase c church if we're not in the capital C church. So let me ask you some biblical questions this morning. Are you ready to confess or have you already that you're a sinner? You are a sinner. We were all born sinners. Are you ready to admit that you have no way to repay the the debt of sin that you owe? Are you willing to accept the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross? Are you ready to repent of your sin? That doesn't mean saying you're sorry. That means you are changing the way you're going to live. I heard a politician say just a few years ago, he claimed to be a Christian, but he also said he had never repented of anything and couldn't think of any sins he had ever committed. It was President Trump. If you have never recognized your position as a sinner, if you've never repented of those sins, it is impossible for you to be a Christian. Period. Doesn't matter how bad you want to go to heaven. Doesn't matter how much you respect the teachings of Jesus, how much you believe in God, or how much you claim the Bible is your favorite book. If you never said you're a sinner and you never repented of your sins, you are not a Christian. The questions continue. Are you ready to submit to his will and follow him for the rest of your life? Are you ready to live a life of sacrifice and obedience? That's what it means to take up your cross and follow him. Are you ready to love Jesus more than you love anything or anyone else? Are you ready to lay down your hopes and your dreams for something more important than yourself? Amen. If you say yes to these questions, then you can expect to see your desires start to change, your focus start to change, your old ways of living, your old ways of thinking to change, and Christ's way to come in. Then you can look forward then you can look forward to eternity in heaven. 
but you can't jump the line. There's only one line. There's only one way. That's how you get in. Corey, come on, man. Are you in? If you're not in, do you want to be? Do you want to be in the body of Christ? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to be a believer? Not a member of a church, not not a title that you claim for yourself. Do you seriously want to be a part of the body of Jesus Christ? If you thought you were, but now you realize you aren't, today is the day. Do you really want to get in today? You say, John, I've prayed so many times. I I don't know. I've always struggled with. You've heard the truth today. You saw it for yourself in the word. This is how you get saved. So that's the invitation. Are you in? Are you in? Stand with me, please. This altar is open if you want to come. I know everybody's got lots of things going on in their lives as as indicated by our time in the altar already. Listen to me. Don't start worrying about somebody needs healing. Don't start worrying about a decision you got to make. Don't start worrying about anything else until you answer my question. Are you in? You say, John, why are you being like this this morning? Because you will answer the question. And if you think I'm intimidating or scary or, or upset... Wait till you stand before the one who gave his son to give you the opportunity to be in. Please don't go anywhere. Don't do anything until you answer the question. And if you want to come to this altar and pray about it, please do. Father, to the best of my ability, I've done your will and I've shared your message. And I know nothing is closer to your heart than seeing souls saved. Lord, I pray that there's a single person here today who does not know you, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would come and they would surrender their lives to you. And Lord, what's just what is just burning in my heart is if there is a single person today who thought they were saved because somebody told them all they had to do was pray the prayer, shake the hand, sign the card, whatever it is that we've substituted for true confession and repentance. God, I pray that today is the day that they come and actually surrender themselves to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. 
at Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.